I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello, you're very welcome along to the 42 Rugby Weekly and what a week it promises to be. The one we've been waiting for, the one we've been building for, the one we spent four long years working for and preparing for ever since that indelible day in Cardiff. All the while clinging on to the hope and belief that this time, this year, this tournament will all be different. It is the week by the end of which we'll know if Ireland's World Cup campaign comes crashing down at the quarterfinal stage yet again, or if Joe Schmidt has been able to add to his incredible legacy and lead this team to somewhere no Irish team has ever been before. Either way, we're in for one hell of a ride over the next six days. Ryan Bailey here sitting in for Gavin Casey today, but there's no change on the other line where we are, as usual, joined by the 42's Murray Kinsella from Japan and Owen Tulin. How's it going, lads? All good, yeah, all good. Hi, lads. Hi, Murray. Hi, Ryan. Uh, how's things over in Ireland? Good, yeah. The negativity, obviously, over here is getting to... The players, we'll maybe touch on that in a bit, Murray, because you were at Johnny Sexton's presser earlier this morning. You've obviously moved south with Ireland throughout the tournament, but you've turned around now and heading for the quarterfinals and back to the bright lights of, of Tokyo. How's things? Yeah, all good. Nice to be back in the very, very big city as it is. It's like a collection of cities here. Um, it was obviously quieter down in Fukuoka. Lovely stay there and the players definitely enjoyed it. But uh, it feels a bit bigger and a bit more special being back up here. And it's only the first day of the build-up. But already you've got that sense that it's just different. Um, there's real excitement, obviously, from the from the players themselves. And and everything just is, is on a bigger scale. Even the fact that we're waiting for Bundyaki news now from the hearing. And there's drama there. And it's rolled on a, a number of hours now. And uh, there's always a few different stories. Steve Hansen's had a bit of a pop at Joe Schmidt. And Johnny Sexton's come back and hit it hit out at that criticism from home as well so uh, clearly everyone's amped up for it and, and so are you Ryan that was an unbelievable intro as well I think Gav Casey's <laughs> going to be very worried <laughs> yeah I have to take the hot seat back off him um, Murray you mentioned Johnny Sexton's presser there a lot of our listeners will have read um, your piece from this morning on the 42 but maybe could you kind of uh, bring us up to speed with it kind of what was the tone and the context around it because he was obviously talking about that he was surprised that there was a bit of negativity coming from back home over Ireland's performances yeah he's never he's never dishonest Johnny Sexton he's the kind of guy who I'd imagine if a, a press officer ever tries to tell him what to say in a press conference, he completely blanks him. I, I would imagine they don't even try to do it. He's just very headstrong and he's got his own convictions and and he speaks honestly. And he, from his point of view, to some of the criticism of the team after the Japan game and after the Russia game in particular, he mentioned, he felt it was kind of comical. He said he was laughing about the comparisons to 2007 after they just beat Russia 35 nil. Um, and, and come up short against what we now know is a, a very, very good Japanese team and a, a team who's into a first ever quarterfinal deservedly so playing some brilliant rugby and, and certainly you watched Japan last night and, and it put into perspective what they'd done against Ireland and kind of accentuated the quality of that performance as well. So yeah, Sexton of course is always going to bristle at criticism of the team uh, as are all the players involved and, and in a way that's a good thing as well. <laughs> like any... Any extra little motivation that players can can draw on, they will. We know that's a trope in sports anyway, proving people wrong and um, getting a bit of a kind of, you know, something like to, to, to prove a point, you 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 focus on negative stuff and, and you probably accentuate it in your own mind as well. So that's something he's always done. And it is probably a fair point that 
you know, people get excited about a couple of underperformances when from Ireland's point of view, they've had two really strong performances in the pool and they're well set now for for peaking in, in the biggest game yet. So it was interesting to hear from him and he certainly seems in a very good frame of mind for this game. There was a real sense of kind of quiet confidence around Ireland's team hotel before they set off for Tokyo. So that bodes well for, for the weekend. Yeah. Oh, and there's a real sense that the tournament really starts here, not to kind of um, diminish anything that's happened to this point, but given what Japan did, as Murray mentioned yesterday, what's kind of your sense of, of being over there? I know you, before we came on there, you were saying you ran into a, a huge crowd um, yesterday. So what's kind of the sense over there? It seems like it's really, really taken off now. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not quite in the metropolis of uh, Tokyo like Murray. I'm in a, in a small coastal village called uh, Suzuka. Um, and I arrived at a little train station yesterday and uh, there was thousands and thousands of people on the platform. I was like, there's definitely not a World Cup game in Suzuka, but it turned out to be the, the Japan Grand Prix. So uh, that was a bit of a shock to the system. But um, yeah, abs- absolutely. I, I think uh, the hype around uh, particularly Japan's I kind of it was almost an inspirational win for the country, I think, and and kind of the uh, the cancel games is almost a thing of the past already. Such was the kind of, I guess, entertainment they just brought to both. I think Japan and, and probably the world the world over in terms of the way they played and kind of dismantled Scotland. I think it was really exciting to see, and and I honestly can't remember a quarterfinals where the four games are as open as they are and and you can't say there's um any really really clear cut favorites in any of the games to be honest so it's it's an exceptionally exciting quarterfinals and uh can't wait till they kick off on Saturday. Yeah, Steve Hansen was speaking this morning and he, he was speaking about how happy New Zealand were to avoid Japan in the quarterfinals. But what about Ireland Murray, you know, is do you get the sense maybe that they're they're uncomfortable the All Blacks with coming up against Ireland, given the recent history between the sides, Joe Smith's side having, of course, beaten them twice in the last three Test matches? What do you kind of get the sense from the All Blacks camp, and are they kind of uncomfortable with the prospect of facing Ireland, even though they are? I think the bookies have the the holders already as I think is twelve point favourites earlier in the week. Yeah, I don't know if it's uncomfortable the right word for it. There's there's an awareness that Ireland can beat them if Ireland are at their very best. And the All Blacks, in their minds, they, they probably dipped those days. You, you think of Chicago and their second row was decimated, obviously, and that, that had a big impact on the game. Um, and then in Dublin, they'll feel they didn't take their chances when they had them. Kieran Reid dropping a ball after after Stockdale got blocked down was really uncharacteristic and a, and a key moment because... A couple of minutes later, he's chipping over them and scoring. So they'll feel they had dipped away in those games. But I think they will be fully aware that Ireland negated some of their strengths. Their defensive performance, particularly in Dublin last year, was excellent and managed to shut down the All Blacks. And has probably prompted some slight rethinking of how they approach it. I don't think the All Blacks ever suffer for for confidence or belief in how they play. And I think it's a fair perception on their part that if they played close to their best, they'll beat anyone. And and Ireland are fully aware of that. Joe Schmidt's mentioned it. Even if Ireland play their very best, they they may not win this game. It's it's the toughest challenge in the game and has been for for as long as it, most of us can remember. So um yeah, I don't I don't think they're too caught up in that side of it I think the All Blacks are just so focused on doing what they can do taking the opportunities if Ireland do give them Ireland to be fair to them are are very good at not giving away those opportunities but Hanson look he always has a bit of fun doesn't he he was he was saying about Joe Schmidt studying plays and obviously being a real student of the game he said listen I might be able to set Joe up by showing him one picture and changing it I think Joe Schmidt will feel exactly the same as well that he's got 
a certain portrayal of Ireland painted into the minds of the All Blacks and he might be able to spring something else. They're going to expect a few of his trick plays. So that's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, we'll get maybe into that in a bit more detail um, later in the show. But oh, and maybe looking back um, on Saturday, Ireland got the job done pretty emphatically in the end, having to play a large chunk of that game with 14 men, of course. What kind of impressed you or, or stood out for you from that performance? I think really Ireland were back to a, a typically accurate performance where it was a really low error rate game. I think they had 118 rooks in the game and only lost one, only conceded five penalties in the game compared to Samoa's 17 and had 75% of possession. And of that 75% of possession, 36% was in Samoa's 22. So they just absolutely dominated Samoa uh, from a territorial perspective and gave Samoa other than Bundy's uh, red card, really no access points into the game. And, and conversely, Samoa Samoa were, were pretty poor. And uh, as I said, they gave away 17 penalties. And I think of Ireland's seven tries, six of them were as a direct result of Samoa penalties. So Ireland didn't have to work overly hard for their uh, for field position. Um, but they were extremely accurate. And, and as I said, going back to the breakdown, they just really didn't give Samoa any any access to the ball, which which created that fast ball, which is so important to Ireland's attack that they're operating off that lightning quick ball that Joe Schmidt often talks about and allows their attack to kind of function at a, at a high speed. Yeah, Murray, once again, we, we saw the importance and it goes without saying at this stage, we've seen it so many times, but... Connor Murray and Johnny Sexton being able to pull the strings. I mentioned it there, having good quality service as well from from the forwards. It just makes a world of difference when when Sexton's in the groove. Ireland are a different team. Yeah, he was he was largely excellent. I know he was frustrated with a couple of his errors. One of them, having kicked a beautiful line kick for the first try, he gets it right into the corner, and then he goes on the next one and tries to eke out similar distance. Um, and he actually keeps it in play and then some were able to clear away. And there were a couple of other ones. I think he had a loose enough pass to down the left-hand side, I think it was to Stander at one stage. And they're the little imperfections he'll focus on. And there's so much good in the performance at the exact same time. As always, fully committed physically, took his try well, albeit that was really poor defence from Samoa. The nine just sticks to the edge of the scrum and, and doesn't work out. Um, but he had some he had some really nice passes as well. You think of him putting Jordan Larmer away and then finally he gets rewarded for his upfield running. He's one of the best in the game at, at getting upfield after his pass, either blocking off a defender on that drift line or else putting him uh, in, in a position to take a return pass. This time Larmer is able to beat Jack Lamb with that really good fend having kind of showed to the outside and he finds Sexton back on the inside. So that was really pleasing for, for Sexton to get reward. He kicked off the tee really well as well and until his kind of final one just before the the, the half time. It just slipped wide. Um, so there was loads of good from him and, and Murray as well. Similar. I, I thought one of his highlights was hanging that contestable Gary or box kick up for Keith Earls to regain. Really good aerial skills from Earls. And then Murray immediately follows it up. Actually, he first complains to the ref, looks for a penalty, then immediately <laughs> follows it up with a long, low box kick that rolls into touch. I know Ed Fido took it quickly, but it was really classy from Murray. You think of his assist as well for, for Larmer's try. Using that advantage again so well, which Ireland yeah. and which everyone has done. That's the team of the World yeah. Cup for me. The, the tries, the amount of, sorry, risk is the wrong word, but the amount of try scoring actions that are happening with advantages is incredible. Coaches are obviously, I would guess, own sending players out with that instruction. Listen, if we get advantage, go and take a a greater risk with the ball. It seems to be happening so much. 
Yeah, absolutely. You could actually hear Murray on the ref mic calling out advantage, advantage, uh, uh, and probably doesn't throw that pass without the advantage. And as I said, an, another result of a kind of uh, Samoan indiscretion. But just going back to that second, uh, that Sexton try, Murray off the uh, Larmor line break. I thought what was really interesting, and, and you're definitely seeing a little bit of a development, especially with um, with CJ Sander, who does get criticised at times for being a bit more one-dimensional. He had 22 carries in, in the game against Samoa but with eight passes mm. and showed a lovely pair of hands a couple of times, a nice tip to Furlong at one stage. And in the, in the build-up to that Sexton try, he's the one actually that comes around the corner off Murray's hip second phase. And, and rather than dying to ground with the ball, he actually offloads the ball back to Murray, which allows Murray just to shift the point of contact and it creates a kind of midfield breakdown, um, which Ireland gets super quick ball off, which allows Larmer to uh, use his footwork to beat the defender. And I think that's really, really cru- crucial. If Ireland can change that point of, of contact um, and just kind of shift what, especially the all-backs are going to be expecting from Ireland in terms of uh, setting up those tight breakdowns. And I think that that's it's a good sign of development in, in Ireland's game and what was the fourth pool game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think on, on, on the Sexton front as well, it, it seemed to me like they're probably holding their hand back a little bit in this game or, or as we say, trying to paint a certain picture because of virtually all the other set-piece plays. And I think even on that one, they hit it up with Aki or Henshaw when he moved into 12 and Sexton ran that loop line around really aggressively every single time eventually he did get that ball back and you think of him kind of playing that basketball pass over the top of Leua to Larmer who possibly could have passed yeah. but instead went for a little bit of a dance and beat a few defenders to get his stats up um, but it was not, it was interesting to see Ireland really shaping that picture uh, and just putting it back in there in the, in the Kiwis' minds because they hadn't really been too um, focused on that little loop play over the last while it hadn't been a consistent feature and now it's back there again and, and suddenly the All Blacks go okay this this could be part of their plan um, do we pick up the, the 12 the 13 they did, he didn't uh, the 12 never slipped that short pass just to the outside they always carried and then the, the time they went out the back to Sexton he gets a lovely pass away so nice to see that development what, what about Larmarone you, you mentioned him there obviously had something different at full back to Rob Carney whose experience is obviously outstanding what, what did you make of Larmer generally? Yeah, I I, th- I thought he was pretty exciting, wasn't he? I think he had 11 defenders beaten in the game with 66 metres. And as you said, just adds that different dimension to, to Ireland's attack. And I think 50% of the time, I'm not sure he knows what he's going to do next. So he's a pretty <laughs> unpredictable player and, and, and someone I'd definitely struggle to analyse because he, he is unpredictable by nature. But um, yeah, I, I thought he had a pretty, pretty accurate performance and was a kind of constant threat to Samoa in those in those wider edges which was pleasing to see yeah certainly lads the the kind of the feeling is that you know Ireland's defense has been very strong across this World Cup but it's it's the attack where they're gonna really need to bring a point of difference on Saturday if they've any chance to beat the All Blacks and we remember back to November and the Jacob Stockdale try down the left a, a classic Schmidt um, power play try Murray is is that going to be the case this weekend is he going to hopefully have a few things up his sleeve and, and we're going to see a few of those Schmidt specials yeah I'd imagine there's definitely been ideas held for this game and and folks on this game he'll have been analysing the All Blacks for a long, long time, and and that never stops for him and and his analysis team either. Um, I think there'll be there'll be an element of that as well. I, I thought one of the other encouraging things from the Samoa performance was that the forwards carried well. Like it's kind of subtle stuff, but their the detail around their carry was better, and it has kind of improved as the competition has gone on. You think of Furlong's 
big rampaging run, which was obviously a, a lot about his power. But just as he gets on the ball, just before he kind of tucks to 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 carry into Alatoa, he just hints at that little pass to the outside, and that makes Leua just sit off. So it's not a, initially a double tackle. Then he gets a one on one with a, a defender who's kind of recovering around the corner because Henshaw cleared nice and deep, and he just adds another split second onto the fold around the corner. Uh, and then Furlong's into a, a pretty pure one-on-one initially. So he can get up that head of steam. He can use his, you see him tuck his right arm as, as a kind of bumper in, in front of him. Um, and then once once he gets up the head of steam, he's pretty impossible to stop. So that's a little bit of detail that, that I thought was better from Ireland. And there was little um, instances where maybe they, they sh- showed that tip on pass or didn't throw it and other times where they did. And there was a little bit more variety. And, and that's going to be key because... The All Blacks individually are such good defenders. They're such intelligent defenders um, that Ireland are going to have to be multifaceted with their attack. Their face play will have to be good. They'll they'll have to be able to retain possession. They'll have to be a um, low error count, as as Owen mentioned there before as well. On top of the set piece stuff, which as I mentioned before in a few of the pods, I think has been really good in this World Cup and and really crisp and clean when they have run set plays. It hasn't always led to tries or or big line breaks, but they've always managed to stretch defence nearly every time they've run something. I, I definitely think Schmidt has held little bits back. Even off scrum, you go back over the last couple of years and he's had some really inventive ones that he's probably gone, okay, that actually worked. I'm going to tuck that away for for a, a, a special occasion. So I'd say it'll be a blend of both. And and I think it's encouraging to see the, the forwards carry well. And the last couple of games as well, the Russian game, I know obviously the defence there wasn't as outstanding, but there was elements of good timing onto the ball and, uh, players not just being static and, and standing still and getting smashed. So that that's encouraging for Ireland. Yeah. Owen, will you go along similar lines? Like what what do you kind of expect the the kind of the game plan from from Schmidt to be on, on Saturday? Yeah, I agree with Murray. Actually I think their contact skills have gone up a level. And even in, if you look at their green zone attack and that picking and going, uh the latch has been really accurate. That's CJ standard trying the second half. Um uh, Omani is on his latch on the inside and just powers him through contact and all those little subtleties will 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 count for a lot in, in a big game where, where, where hopefully it's going to come down to a one score type type match and I think um, Ireland are showing real accuracy in the contact area and I think what served Ireland really well last year I know, I know Murray mentioned um, a couple of key areas and a key turning points in the game but I thought Ireland kicked exceptionally well and were happy to go to contestable kicks even in New Zealand's half they really tried to to kind of suffocate and put pressure on New Zealand's back three. And I think a really key stack going into the game, which I think will give Ireland a lot of hope, is if you look at the experience levels of New Zealand's two wingers, George Bridge is on seven caps and Sir Reese is on five. So going into a massive World Cup quarterfinal, and if Ireland can come up with a really good kicking plan to to expose those wingers in particularly to a, a, a kind of varied but specifically contestable kicking game, which is putting, I guess, their... X Factor backs at the bottom of Rooks, I think, will go a long way to Ireland kind of winning that field position battle and then relying heavily on a really, really good discipline and, and try and seek entry points into the game that way. And as Murray's alluded to, their line out and scrum has functional, functioned exceptionally well. I think they they won all 17 line outs at the weekend against Samoa. And I think 
Joe Schmidt will definitely have an array of plays ready for this um, for this New, New Zealand defence. I think there's been signs of at times New Zealand defending Moanga at thirteen, and and as we talked about that that little Ireland play, the 10, 12, 13 short, and ten back out the back. There'll be little plays designed to get up Moanga if he do, does defend a thirteen offset piece, which New Zealand have shown uh, both in the Rugby Championship and the World Cup that he's done on a few occasions. So. There's definitely opportunities for Ireland, and I and I and I do think the uh, relative inexperience on the Zealand's back three is an area that Ireland are definitely going to go after. Yeah, for sure. You know, obviously, as we've we've touched on, Ireland have won two of the last three tests um, between the sides, but New Zealand in knockout World Cup rugby are a different beast, Murray, aren't they? You know, you have to go back to 2007 to the. Uh, quarterfinal then when they were beaten by France for their last World Cup defeat that's a run of 17 straight victories en route to the back-to-back titles they've won and of course this year's quarters um, Owen touched on it there is have you seen between the Rugby Championship and, and even this World Cup itself have you seen areas of weakness there that maybe we haven't seen in all black sides, sides under Hansen before that Ireland can get at mm, I, yeah weakness is probably again Stronger than I go with it. There's little chinks. I, I think Owen's mentioned there, Mwanga as well, and and the wingers. Yeah, I, I mean, you almost feel Ireland have ho- almost held their hand, held their hand back in, in that regard as well. Even with the kicking, like they haven't kicked a huge amount of contestables since the Scotland game, when conditions obviously dictated that that was the best approach. They haven't really actively pursued that. They've they've added maybe in those attacking kicks, which has been an encouraging development. But I I feel they're well placed to go after um that that back three and and really contest there and and get Stockdale if it's him and Earl's up and, and Carney as well if he's back at fullback. Uh, get them into one on one contests, having probably not shown that hand in the last few games. That'll be a, a key key part of it. Um I feel I think the Irish pack will feel their maul is in really good nick for this. Now the Kiwis are really good at defending most to be fair to them, especially when you have a couple of Crusaders guys in the pack. The Crusaders were just incredible. I, I think going they didn't probably, probably concede a mole try all season. So they'll feel that's a no, strength of theirs. Yeah. But, but Ireland's mole has motored up really nicely through these games. You're getting a really good level of detail and they always talk about, the Irish players talk about nailing our roles and you're sometimes, what, what is he on about? He just means running a line there. But you look at the roles they have in their their maul and they've scored two tries now with the exact same play just on on the different touchline. You think of the Rory Best one there in the, the first try against Samoa is exactly the same as the, the one against Scotland except off the other touchline where every single player slots into exactly the right role at the right time and they power forward and, and prove pretty unstoppable. Samoa's, again, their mall defence was really poor, but Ireland, they just slotted in so nicely and, and no one was out of position. So I feel, they'll, they'll feel rather that they can get gains out of that as well. But really it is a, it's a, it's an all core thing. You have to nail every single aspect of your, your game. And as Tyke Furlong mentioned the other day, it's very often just about concentration levels as well, because you dip for a single second or even a split second, you drop one ball, you don't take the the ball in the backfield as the, the Springboks learned to their real detriment in that game. They lost those two aerial contests and, and the All Blacks were suddenly clear and they couldn't reel them in. And that's how quickly it can it can happen. Once you make that error and the game is in that transition phase, it, it's there's there's no real tactics to, to recover from that. You just got to be really solid in not making those errors. But I feel Ireland will will back themselves in that regard. They they are good at being extremely solid in possession and extremely solid around the set piece, etc. Uh, and the aerial game. So so that's all in their favour, I think. 
I think another thing worth mentioning in, in around New Zealand's defence is that in that biggest game against uh, South Africa in round one, which seems like a while ago for New Zealand and it has yeah. been their biggest test to date, they missed 28 tackles of their 126. So that's a high percentage of missed tackles in a high-profile game. And I, and I think the concern potentially for New Zealand is their defence necessarily hasn't been tested since that date. And in fact, they've only made 300, had to make 336 tackles in their in their four pool games. So if you take away that 130-odd against South Africa, they've only had to make nearly 200 tackles in three games. So the defence hasn't necessarily been tested since that opening game. And and that's definitely an area where, where Ireland will know that if they can build that momentum and, and build that cohesion to their attack and, and maintain that, I guess, uh, sustained level of pressure that we saw against Samoa, um, that Ireland will, will think that's a decent entry point into the game for them. Yeah, you both mentioned Jordan Larmer. I want to kind of get your thoughts on on selection, maybe starting with you, Owen. Is is he the is that kind of the one area where Schmidt might have to have a few um, selection meetings about this week? He's really put Rob Carney under pressure in that fullback role after his performance at the weekend. Yeah, uh, I, I think Joe's always rewarded his kind of tried and tested. But um, he's definitely shown during the World Cup that if guys aren't fit to train, that that he'll kind of, for clarity early in the week, uh, select select the players that are available to train. I, I think that Tuesday training session sounds like it's a crucial crucial session in the week for Ireland. So if, if Rob isn't isn't 100% fit and given Larmer's form, I think um, I, his form is merited probably a selection in this game. I think he's been really, really impressive. And... I think uh, a lot will be weighted on how Ireland try to attack New Zealand. And if that is through the air, then then Rob is definitely our best high ball exponent, especially in those attacking kind of contestable kicks. So a lot will depend on how, how Joe kind of sets up the team to play. But Jordan is definitely, I would imagine, in the mix to start. Yeah. Murray, we spoke about it on, on Rugby Weekly Extra um, after the game on Saturday and you kind of listed off your, your pack, your starting pack. Does it really pick itself if you're looking at Peter Manny coming back in at six, given his performance, there's been a lot of talk that he, he won man of the match, of course, back in November when Ireland beat New Zealand in Dublin. Mm, yeah, he was excellent that day. And that was a real demonstration of what he brings when he brings those big, big moments that really change the momentum of a game, which he which he so often does. He'll be he'll have been pleased to get that turnover when he came off the bench uh, there against Samoa. You could see how happy he was. You know, he, n- he never smiles obviously on the pitch, but he he kind of went straight over to Jean Klein and was slapping him on the back, saying "Great hunt on the inside, great hunt," because uh, you gave me that chance just to underline a little bit of my quality. Um, and then line out wise, he, he had a few really good takes and clean off the top. So I think he'll have been pleased to get that run out. Yeah, I w- I would be shocked to be honest if he's not in that starting team. Just in terms of leadership, in terms of having delivered in big games for Joe Schmidt and, and Owen mentions that faith and that loyalty he has and I can understand that when he gets to this situation in a, in a quarterfinal of the World Cup having not had a lot of these guys in the last World Cup he was missing five of them essentially five of his trusted lieutenants who he knew and felt could get the job done I think when he gets into this situation again it's just you you go back to that go to what he, what he knows and you can understand it Carney's experience at fullback is beyond doubt his backfield coverage on a day when the all, the all backs obviously have a really good attack and kicking game with it, that dual threat of Moanga and Barrett and most of their backs really can kick and there's so much threat in that area that you've got a lot of grass to cover I do think Larmer to be fair to him and Joe Schmidt he almost kind of 
always picks on a little floor, you know, mentions that Jordan Larmour maybe doesn't know where he always is. I think he's really improved in all in all that aspect of the game, and he's been he's being really solid now as well as the attacking flair that we see from him. Um, yes, definitely a lot of instinctive stuff where he doesn't know what's happening, but but I think he's improved that side of it. Um, but just with the selection, I think we're going to end up in a situation where we probably could have predicted the team before the tournament, and we end up in that position. and And really, most of it is warranted. The virtually all of it is warranted the form has been really good say in the second row and the front row Tyg Furlong delivering his, his best for a while Keen Healy with some big moments and best again subtly making an influence on the Samoa game with some really strong tackles in congested areas um, the centres obviously we're still waiting on Bundyaki's <laughs> hearing announcement we're over three hours now which possibly bodes well for Ireland that's a that's a pretty long hearing Um but even if he's not there, there is quality in, in, in the depth. You know, he, he's got three really good options there. Um, so I think it'll be along those expected lines. I don't see too many surprises, really, to be honest. Mm. It just on, on the centre, is Chris Fowler really pushing Robbie Henshaw? Like we mentioned again on Saturday that Henshaw, you know, has really played barely any rugby since May. And there was elements of, of like real rustiness to his game. On Saturday, he'll obviously be all the better for those 62 minutes. But is, is Chris Farrell really pushing um, Henshaw for that slot if, if Bundy Aki is unavailable? Um, I don't think so, to be honest. Even when Henshaw was out injured um, and you're kind of thinking, wow, they've really kept him over here for a long time for an injured player. Mm. But you asked Joe Schmidt about it and the first thing he kind of goes to is I remember Robbie Henshaw being dominant against France in a big game in the last World Cup. And you could probably cite several other instances of that. And uh, listen, Ro- Robbie Hench was a quality player. Those mistakes he made in early on in the game against Samoa are totally understandable. He drops one ball because they're trying to run that loop play, actually. And he's probably just slightly overthinking the the fluidity of it. Um, he gives away one penalty, which probably he'll feel is a little bit unlucky. The ball did look to kind of bobble out of the ruck as he as he kind of uh, as he kind of fell on it. Um, but he did have quality moments as he grew into it. You think of that big carry he had in the second half where they hit him up off a, a line out really direct. He goes through TJ Ioani, um, and they win a penalty again in that instance. The Samoans trying to turn over ball, one of the really sloppy penalties they gave away. So he'll definitely feel he's getting up to speed. And, and Joe Schmidt, again, has massive faith in Robbie Henshaw. He's a really important player for Ireland. Yeah, we might take a, a broader look at the rest of the quarterfinals. Before we finish up on Ireland, we've got a couple of questions from our members in the WhatsApp group and just two have stood out. Um, I'm going to put the first one to you. Owen, David Highland is asking, how worrying is it that we still haven't solved the one big problem that this team has always had, an inability to chase the game in the second half? He can only think of one major test in the last few years there that we haven't come from behind in the last 20 minutes and won. He's citing that um, game in Paris last year he's asking is that just a fitness problem or is it the way Schmidt sets out his team to build the lead and then hold on to it yeah I, I would I would think the latter Ryan there it's a good question but Ireland's game is predicated on sustained periods of pressure which which leads to penalties uh, and leads to field position and, and when Ireland can sustain periods of pressure they're a very very difficult team to play against because they just don't allow access points into the game for their opposition. And, and when that does change, and if if the opposition can get a couple of tries, then it changes the dynamic of the game. Now, I, I still think Ireland do have the ability to be able to to score tries in quick succession if they need need to. But um, yeah, it, it's a good question. But I, I definitely think Ireland's attack is predicated on that high pressure, um, 
type low low risk low error count game. Yeah, Murray. Second question in here from Scadden. He's asking if this is the last match under the Joe Schmidt era. Can you see anyone else retiring apart from Rory Best after this weekend if Ireland failed to get through? Ooh, Scadden's. He's looking for us to, or she is looking for us to ride for you, Bluff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I Good question. Thought, yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about that to be honest. Like. I don't think so. No, I think Rob Carney is pretty set on, on playing on and Johnny Sexton is absolutely set on playing on. He has <laughs> ambitions for that next Lions tour and, and possibly even beyond. He's looking at Tom Brady, etc. Um, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon as well. He's still playing excellent rugby when, he, when he's good as well. Um, the older players in the squad, I'm trying to think, no, I don't think there are any actually. Um, you, you, you would have maybe thought Devin Toner might go to the World Cup yeah. and, and bow, but he's obviously not there. Um, and then the other guys over 30 are, are still pr- relatively young you think Keane Ely and Earls they have plenty of, plenty of gas left in the tank so I'd say yeah just Rory Best really and I haven't heard anything to indicate otherwise yeah sure right lads let's move on to the rest of the quarterfinals because obviously all our attention this week is going to be on Ireland against the All Blacks but Owen mentioned at the top of the show like what a what a lineup that is on Saturday and Sunday games one after the other England Australia followed obviously by Ireland against the All Blacks and then on Sunday Wales against France followed by that game between Japan and South Africa that's a it's an absolute rugby feast Murray to look forward to Oh, I'm very, very excited, I have to say. It can't come quick enough. They're just such nice ties as well, and there's such a blend of styles in there. Uh, very much along expected lines, but the real the real kind of jack-in-the-box is Japan. It's been yeah. so much fun to watch them play um, and being over here for it. And even last night, I was actually supposed to be up at the game, but due to the, the typhoon, my fly was cancelled. I couldn't get up there watching in a bar in, in Fukuoka, and it was just unbelievable. The, the local support, the amount of love they've gained from their their supporters is incredible and the amount of excitement now for for the world cup over here is incredible just arrived into my hotel and flicked on the tv and there was a big show kind of going into the the personalities behind the squad and and some of their preseason training which looked incredibly tough as as they've mentioned they do look so fit um and i think they they have been really the story of this world cup oh and i'm guessing you enjoyed that that win over scotland it was incredible stuff absolutely uh, and Again, I think the big focus point is on their attack, really, and, and how they're just dismantling teams. And one of the big stats in the game for me was that Japan had 150 carries and gained 560 metres of those carries. So they're averaging about 3.7 metres per carry. And wow. a lot of it is just, uh, we've spoke about it quite a lot, is just their attacking framework gives gives them so much width. It allows their ball carriers to operate in, in a decent amount of space and and i looked i looked at some of the data around their carries and it's quite eerie to be honest around how they share the or distribute the workload for their team so of their locks and back row uh those two positions carried almost the identical amount of balls um the reserve props both carried eight balls each their two wingers their left and right wingers carried 10 times and their two centers carried 12 times each so the distribution of their their um, attack is so sophisticated and so structured, but it looks so frenetic. Hmm. But I think that's the beauty of, of, of Tony Brown's attack is everyone has a, such a clear understanding of what shape they need to get into wherever they are on the pitch. And Scotland were just on their heels in defence that entire first half, those long periods of ball and play. Scotland's D just could not get off the line. And, and, and a kind of funny stat, 
from the World Cup is Japan actually aren't necessarily making, they're not huge in terms of clean line breaks. They would be nowhere near the top of the pile there. But what they do is they just, they're relentlessly wearing teams down because their ball retention so good that um, defences just can't cope with the sustained periods of pressure. And, and I thought they were ridiculously impressive in that first half. And Scotland really, despite having a good start, struggled to deal with their attack as the game wore on. Yeah, the attacking shape really is, it's exceptional. It's one of the best I've seen in terms of that, as you mentioned, on that understanding of, of roles and the ability to be adaptable and change up within that role and have some decision-making autonomy. You even think of things like Lafayette rolling that grubber behind for Fukuoka. They're, they're really clever at making decisions on the move while still adhering to uh, some sort of plan. And you, you see the forwards switching roles even if, if there's not a certain amount of players ready for one pod there's someone else to slot in there and then they'll adapt um, and even how they adapted their game they played with such width in the first half it was obviously just sensational to watch in the second half and the the kind of as the game kind of gets more of a contest they go a little bit more direct within the same framework but using those inside passes or Tamura actually challenging the line himself he used an inside pass at one stage Nakajima off the bench was unbelievable I thought with little tip in passes when Scotland had been almost trained and coached to expect that wide, wide attack. Maybe I won't just run through the shape. Obviously, imagery helps a little bit, but but it is a something that people probably won't be too familiar with. We know 2-4-2 and 1-3-3-1 one, three, three, one obviously are, are big and most teams would, would operate within that 1-3-3-1, three, three, one, but talk, talk us through Japan's shape maybe in, in kind of layman's terms. Yeah, I guess they keep their tight five forward, so their props and locks in the middle of the field. So they operate within those 15-meter channels and they operate within a pod of three and a pod of two. So that pod of three generally operates off nine and the pod of two operates off 10 with a inside center up in behind that pod of two kind of directing them, whether they, they push forward and the ball goes out the back or, or they carry through the middle. And then in the two 15-meter channels, they'll have two back rows on one side and one back row on the other side. And that's what provides their width and attack. So those those back row players are operating up and down the 15-meter channels with the remaining forwards in the middle. Um, and then there's just such variation, whether that pod of three that are operating off nine carry or tip or link out the back to the 10, or they just bypass the pod altogether and go to that middle two forwards and... They just have lovely little variation plays off it. I will say, and it will be really interesting when they play South Africa, is when they go to that pot of two forwards in the middle, they're relying on uh, Nakamura to resource a breakdown, yeah. and he's diminutive by stature. And that's definitely an area where I, I think because they want such width in their attack, they're relying on two cleaners in that kind of high-density midfield channel, which is an area I think South Africa will look at. But um, when their breakdown is quick, and, and it must be said at times because... They're very much a lateral support based team that are looking for tips and offloads. That when the ball carrier goes to ground, there is a lot of side cleaning that they enter the breakdown from the side. And, and Ben O'Keefe actually penalised them quite early on. I would imagine it was something Gregor Townsend would have brought up with uh, with the referee before the game. But as the game wore on, there was a huge amount of side cleans from Japan and, and they tend to be getting away with it. Uh, but I, I think... Yeah, the framework is exceptionally uh, is exceptionally good and it's variation. And the other interesting thing is that uh, Japan's defence was giving Scotland a lot of space on the edge and in behind. And, and Scotland's first two structured attacks, they looked to to kick to um, isolate players in backfield. Uh, and it actually led to Scotland's second try when they, they kicked into 
Japan's 22 and turned over to Mora and eventually Russell scored that try. But interesting is Scotland were quite impatient to try and get to those with within their structure. Um, like if you look back at Finn Russell, the amount of wide lobby passes he threw, which while you're getting the ball into space, it gives that inside defence time to catch up. And when Scotland started to play kind of short tips through the forwards and went through the middle of Japan, that's when a lot of momentum came in the second half. So as where whereas Japan's shape is set up for the ball to get to width either way, Scotland's attacking framework, while they're getting the ball to width, it was it wasn't really exposing the space that Japan were offering. Mm. Yeah, this was like a, a Roby Nerds dream, really. <laughs> this game was so much <laughs> in it. I I honestly haven't been as excited during a game for a long time. And you mentioned Nakamura there being diminutive, but I love you you've mentioned before, Owen, I love his ten twelve partnership with Tamora the way they're interchangeable the way Tamora yeah. might play that first pod and then he'll fade out the back and and Nakamura will step up as the first receiver because he's had that little extra second to to make a decision you can see him feeding in information as well to Tamora so it's got that real second set of eyes he's also pretty fire isn't he, he, he he's not afraid of contact he certainly doesn't shirk it and then you've got the wingers who are because of that framework because of that width that you mentioned they're actually free to kind of roam in field and you think of Matsushima popping up on the left having started on the right wing even the way they use Fukuoka off those simple scrum plays where it's midfield scrum and they just hit him as first receiver use his pace he actually even stepped in at nine on, at one stage and, and they used him there um, it, it's just exciting to see them mixing it up and, and showing this kind of rugby at us that maybe we'd almost be in condition to think this isn't going to work at, at top test level because you can't push that pass you can't offload that way you saw for that in a Gaki try that you can offload that way if you're continuing to stretch the defence to the point of breaking um, and then Horia who was just he's like a play, he's like a third playmaker isn't he the hooker he's incredible ball handling ability and, and decision making skill and he kind of sets off that chain and Inagaki probably comes from that that next pod he's not even part of the three he uh, he just reads it really well and he's got the fitness and the mobility to cover the ground and be there for the last offload from Tupo for one of the tries of the tournament really and then I think it was pleasing for them as well to get a try off their defence early in the second half the, the turnover try because as you yeah. mentioned Scotland were stretching them a little bit more and being maybe a little bit smarter with their decision making I think it was Leach who makes a really good read off the the Scots try to go back down the blind with Hogg and he makes an excellent tackle then they go open and, and Lafayette gets on really good line speed Fukuoka comes right in off his wing and gets a really good strip in the tackle on Chris Harris and the way he even gathered the ball and then showed his acceleration it was, it was an incredible moment there's just there's so much to like about them it's going to be fascinating to see how they go against the box because I think you're right about that breakdown they'll have watched Jamie Ritchie what he pilfered three I think he had a couple of choke tackles Fagerson got one as yeah. well and and they'll definitely identify that. They'll also think, they'll also think, why hasn't anyone kicked at them the way we did in that that final warm up game where where the box hammered them forty one seven. Now it's obviously going to be a, a very different occasion, and there's very different momentum, and all that all that side of it is different. But I don't think anyone's really tested the Japanese that way since then. Wow. Um, and even the line out was it was a little bit ropey from the Japanese. They 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 coughed up a bit of possession there. Or there were a couple where they nearly lost, and I think. The, the box will fancy their chances of putting some massive pressure on there. So again, what a clash of style it's going to be. Yeah. Owen, I'm going to put you on the spot before we finish up because we won't hear from you again before the weekend. You said at the start that <laughs> all four of those games are so hard to call and they could go either way. What's kind of your gut feeling at the moment? Maybe we start with England-Australia. I think weather conditions are going to have a massive role to play in this game, to be honest with you. I, I think if it's wet or considerably humid. I just can't see Australia 
being able to play that high tempo, fast ball movement type of game and and have the kicking game to trouble England who who with Youngs and Farrell and Ford have, have, have three really good kickers. But if it is dry, I just don't think England have come up against this type of attack yet where it's fast rook speed. It's going to deny England opportunity to use that line speed when they're when Australia are operating off one rook, one second rook speed or in fact Australia are offloading through contact. Uh, so it's going to be a fa- fascinating watch. And I think if it's a dry game, I can see Australia pushing England close. Um, whether they're going to be good enough up to win, I don't know. I, I, I'd probably have to back England England to win in a in a tight game. But yeah, it, it's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating quarter final. Yeah, New Zealand against Ireland. Are oh, you giving me all four? Are you? Yeah. God. <laughs> um, Reputation on the line here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a betting man. I'm not allowed to bet on rugby. Being involved <laughs> in rugby, but. Um, <laughs> I will. I'll go with Ireland. I tell you what. To be honest, they should have beaten them. Th- if you go back to twenty thirteen, they should have beaten New Zealand that day, which would have been three wins out of the last four. Um, I like the fact that Ireland are underdogs going into the game, but they have that psychological advantage now. That a lot of players in the team have beaten New Zealand. They know what it takes. They know how to do it. And conversely, there is definitely going to be an element of doubt in New Zealand's minds. Regardless of their win records, they have struggled against Ireland in in games gone by. And I just feel like Ireland are going to be so, so hungry to get past the quarterfinal for the first time. And I think they're going to be hugely motivated to do it. And I'll, and I'll, back, I'll back Ireland to win by a score. Yeah, I'll spare you Wales against France because we haven't touched on it. But what about Japan, South Africa? Um all the stuff you've just spoken about there. Which, what's your gut on that one? It it'll be interesting how South Africa set up in terms of selection, given what we've talked about Japan's breakdown. Because in uh, Khaleesi, Steph Toy and, and Vermeulen, they don't really have a typical on baller. I know they got Malcolm Marks, who's probably the best hooker in the world over the ball, but it's going to be interesting how South Africa's select it. And as Murray's already said, how they they're going to kick to Japan, and I'd imagine they're going to look to create a huge amount of lineouts. I think. In that Japan-Scotland game, uh, Japan only had five lineouts in the game, which is incredible. So South Africa are going to definitely look to suffocate Japan. And I, and I think South Africa are going to be too strong for them, unfortunately, as much as I'd love to see Japan win that one. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks a million, lads. It's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy the week of rugby. It's going to be um, a roller coaster. Murray, maybe before we finish up, what's kind of Ireland's um, schedule for the week? Team announcement on Thursday, presumably. Yeah, they're they arrived up here today. They're actually staying out in Disneyland, which is a bit weird. There's a there's a Hilton hotel out there. It's at the back of Disneyland. There's been a few other teams there, so I'm sure some some photos will be popping up and they'll maybe have a little bit of fun there. But I reckon it's going to be a bit more serious this week. Um, yeah, train tomorrow, train Thursday into Captain's Run, and and then you're into the weekend. It's really upon us very quickly, and and that's the way it, it should be. There's been no update as we speak. There's been no update on Bundyaki, which I'm surprised by. It's gone over three hours now, so that might be one we do on the members pod tomorrow. Have a bit of a chat through the the decision there and and the process. And um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a fascinating week, and we're really into it now. Yeah, absolutely. Owen, we'll catch you next week after what we hope will be a famous Irish victory. Absolutely, fingers crossed. Cheers, Ryan. I'll catch you in uh, Tokyo, Murray. Cheers, catch you soon. And thanks for listening. As Murray said, we'll be back tomorrow with a Rugby Weekly Extra for all our members. But until then, goodbye. Take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. 
If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 Magic! You're not alive, boys, so you start kicking when the room is spinning and the words are sticking.